Have you got a few minutes for some word tonight? Hmm? How many think the Lord could give you something real good? Real good. Just minister to you and help you be worth you staying focused for a few more minutes. Go to uh, 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. Let's look at some scripture that we've looked at previously this week and go further into it. This is week of increase, and the Lord's been ministering to us about a vision of increase. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17 says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Not bondage. Liberty. How can you tell a bunch of folks that are full of the Holy Spirit? A church, a ministry, a home, a family that's full of the Spirit of God. Well, when you come into the place, it doesn't feel cold. It doesn't feel hard and edgy and bondage. It feels free. Free. Feels like you could have a good time there. Well, that's how your house ought to be. No fussing and screaming and dish breaking. No, no, get delivered from all that. (laughs) And have a free place, free. No door slamming and loud devil music. Or loud screaming and cussing out of the TV. Change the channel. Or turn it off. Even better yet. And have a house where there's peace and joy and liberty in the Lord. He said, but we all with open face. Beholding as in a glass or mirror the glory of the Lord, we're changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We've been talking about how Jesus operated. In fact, let's just turn there and look at it again for those of you that weren't with us. John, the fifth chapter. There is no better example of ministry than the Master, Jesus. And we all, all of us, ought to be endeavoring to pattern our churches and our ministries and our lives after His. Well, Jesus ministered in the miraculous. He ministered in signs and wonders. He ministered in powerful manifestations of the Holy Ghost. How did He do it? Many would say, well, He's Jesus, he can do that. He's the son of God. He can do that, but that leaves a wrong impression. He is the son of God, but he didn't do what he did as God. He emptied himself, Philippians says, laid aside his mighty power and became like other men. And since he became like other men, then he couldn't do things. I mean, a man can't heal another man. A woman can't save another woman. And the man or woman that said they could lied about it. Are you with me now? You know, some of these folk that want to find fault. Maybe somebody that preaches faith and healing. Some of their friends or some of their relatives didn't receive their healing. 
And I've heard it. I've heard them talk about it on the news and in newspapers. Well, they're supposed to be healers and they couldn't even heal their own people. Well, anybody with any sense never claimed to heal anybody anyhow. I never claimed to heal anybody. And anybody that understands healing never claimed to heal anybody. Jesus is the healer. We preach it's his will to heal all. And it is. We preach it's bought and paid for in redemption. He took our infirmities, bore our sicknesses, carried our pains, and by his stripes were healed. And with long life he'll satisfy you. Show you his salvation. And we preach that you receive it by faith. And faith is the victory that overcomes the whole world. And a strong spirit will get you through even bodily pain and trouble, Proverbs says. Well, that's not me healing you. Are you healing me? That's us believing God. Of course, these unbelievers say all kind of stuff. But here, how did Jesus minister these mighty works? John 5 tells us. John 5 and 19. We read it. Let's read it again. Jesus answered and said to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Now, if he was doing those things as God, he couldn't have said this. But this proves he was doing it as a man. Because the same thing is true with us. We can do nothing of ourselves. But that doesn't mean we can't do anything. See, people go too far in this false humility. I can't do a thing. I can't do a thing. I'm just as helpless. I can't do. No, you can do nothing of yourself. He didn't say you couldn't do anything. (laughs) Keep reading. The son can do nothing of himself, but can he do anything? He can do what? What he sees the Father do for what things soever he does, these also doeth the Son likewise. What can he do? It's not that he can't do anything. He can do something. He can't do anything of himself. But he can do something. Whatever he sees the Father do is true for you and me as well. Whatever we see the Father do in our lives, we can do also. And the next verse, what did he say? For the Father loves the Son, and because he loves... Are you a son of God also? Because he loves the Son, he shows him all things. We're supposed to be seeing all the time. And I got into this just a little bit the other night that so many times people have thought, well, prophets can see. They have sight. They have visions. They see. But the other ministry gifts, you know, they don't. No, no. All of us are supposed to see. Just because you see some things, that wouldn't make you a seer any more than just because you prophesied, it made you a prophet. It's the same Holy Spirit, the same anointings, just different degrees of them, different levels of it. A believer can spend time with the Lord. And I don't mean just knelt by your bedside. I mean communing with God as you go about your business all the time and see things. 
God can show you things to come. The pastor can see things. The teacher can see things. And then the prophet can see things. It's the same anointing to see and know, just different levels of it. Different degrees of it. Now, a prophet might have a trance. He might have an open vision. But it's from the same source as the believer who had the eyes of their understanding enlightened and saw something. Just different degrees. Different levels of it. But don't think because you're not a prophet, you can't see anything. And we're not talking about having visions and being caught up in out-of-body experiences. You're seeing something all the time. People just have not been taught to pay attention to it. And in communing with the Father, the Spirit of God will show us things to come. And so many times when we see Him do it, we're seeing Him do it in us. We're seeing ourselves do it. That's what Jesus did. He saw himself go to that five porches where that, uh, all those people were sick and go to that one individual. He said he saw the Father do that. Well, how did he see him? He saw him do it. He saw himself go there and minister to him. Well, why did he say he saw the Father? Because he can do nothing of himself. It was the Father in him that did it. So you need to say it the right way. Now, that's what I got on my heart for this evening. You need to say it the right way. You need to see it the right way. You need to know the difference. And you need to show the difference. This will be more evident as we go forward. But Jesus made a definite difference between himself and the Father. Didn't he? Hold your place right here and go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3. Well, uh, we'll just finish reading John. Then we'll go to 1 Peter and you won't have to hold it. He said, whatever the son sees, the father do, that's what he does. That's how you and I are supposed to live and operate. Verse 20, the father loves the son and shows him all things that himself does. And he will show him what? He will show him greater works than these. Well, what would that mean when he showed him the greater works? That meant then he could do the greater works. If you can see it, you can be it. If you can see you doing it, or the better way to say it, see him doing it. Even though it's in you and through you, then you can do it. If you can see you with it, or that is see him giving it to you, then you can have it. If you can see it, you can be it. Because it's a spiritual law that you become what you behold. And the greatest vision on earth is vision from God. Holy seeing. Oh, the Lord wants to show us some things. How many believe it? Can you sense it in your spirit? Oh, he wants to show us so much. Did you know that's what we're going to be doing forever? In eternity? In the ages to come? Anybody remember what Ephesians says? He's going to show us the exceeding riches of his grace. He's going to be showing us things from now on. Throughout eternity. You think they'll be worth seeing? Yeah. 
Oh, brother. But we don't have to wait till we leave this life. There's things he intends to show us now about here, about our life, about what he preordained us to be, what he foreordained us to do. The Bible tells us he predestined us to live the good life, the Amplified says, to walk in good works that he foreordained, predestined. Well, we haven't seen it all, but here's the big deal. Until you see it, you can't be it. You can't do it because you of yourself, me of myself, we can do nothing. We've got to see it from him. We've got to see this vision from him. Did you know you are today not what you have to be, but what you have become? And whether you think about it or not, you see yourself a certain way. And you are the result of how you see yourself. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You weren't always the way you are now. You came into this world a blank sheet of paper. But you saw yourself through the eyes of your parents, good or bad. And you saw yourself, you begin to see yourself through the eyes of your siblings or your school friends or your teachers or the bully. Did you hear me? How many remember the Israelites got to Canaan's land and were supposed to possess it and take it? And what they say, we were in those giants' eyes like grasshoppers, and so were we in our own eyes. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. Grasshoppers can't defeat giants. They can't take the promised land, and so they did not. They all wandered around and perished, wasted their life out there in the wilderness. Because they couldn't see what God saw. They didn't see. Now, Caleb and Joshua had another picture. Come on, didn't they? They had another picture. What'd they say? They said, oh, hush, quit your crime. Get up, get your sword, get your spear. Their defense has departed from them. They're bred for us. Let's go get it and let's go get it now. They saw themselves able to possess it all with the help of God. But the rest of them couldn't see it. You ever heard people say, I just can't see that. I can't see that. And sometimes they're literally saying spiritually what it is. They are blind. The Bible tells us that all the people that are lost in the world are lost because Satan has blinded their mind. Lest they should see the glorious light of the gospel. That's the first step to being born again. You didn't get born again before you saw something. You first must be enlightened. Then you taste of the heavenly gift. The Bible said people don't receive the Holy Spirit because they don't see him. You know what Jesus said? He said the world can't receive him because it doesn't see him. Everything is that way. You got to see it before you can receive it. You got to see it before you can be it and do it and have it. So how is God going to get us from where we are? 
to where he wants us to be, it's going to start inside us. It's going to start with enlightenment. We'll have to begin to see ourselves differently and see our future differently and begin to think bigger and have a broader vision and be enlarged. Bless people's hearts. You even got Christians doing all kinds of things, trying to find themselves, trying to discover who they are. That is a vain pursuit. Because you're dead. <laughs> Let me tell you who you are. You're dead. You're dead and buried in him. Crucified with him. And by faith made alive. In him. Who are you? You got to find out who he is. Because you're in him. And he's in you. And you can't know who you are. till you find out who he is. And the more you see him, the more your self-value comes up. (laughs) I'm not a lowly worm. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm not nothing. I'm not an accident. I'm not a throwaway. I'm not a has-been. I'm not a failure. I'm a child of the Almighty God. I'm one of the kings. He's king of. Destined to rule and reign with him in the kingdom that is everlasting and shall never end. He's grooming me right now. Training me. This is just faith camp. This is the shortest thing I'll ever do. He left some demons and curse and crazy people for me to train on. You got the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, and shield of faith, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, sword of the spirit. What if you had nothing to deal with? You all dressed up and know where to go. That's why God left us plenty of demons and plenty of curse and confused, crazy people. Why? So we have somebody to walk in love with. If everybody was perfect, you couldn't develop your love. Well, if everybody was nice, you couldn't develop your patience. <laughs> if there were no obstacles and challenges, you wouldn't have anything to exercise your faith on. That's why when you become enlightened and you see this differently, you see it in this way, you understand James. Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers, temptations, and trials, and tests. Now, that ain't normal worldly thinking. When you hit a trial and you go, glory to God. People go, what? He just got a bad report. He just got an attack. He just had a problem. They just did some stuff against him and he went, glory to God. Why? Just another opportunity to prove the word of God and overcome. Devil, you messed with the wrong one. You should have picked somebody that lay down with this. I won't. In fact, I'm going to make you eat this. You're going to wish you had never messed with me. I'm not just a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer. I'm going to experience total victory over this. And then I'm going to go around and tell everybody, you wasn't big enough to do it. (laughs) And I'm going to tell it 20 years from now. 
You'll wish you had never messed with me. I was doing a business deal with a a minister one time for a piece of equipment. And I was standing in faith. And the money didn't come. And the money didn't come. And the money, boy, the devil was trying to mess with me on it. And I had to tell him, I'm I'm sorry, I don't have it yet. It was embarrassing. And I said, just for that devil, take this. I went to him, I said... I would like to pay you more for it. (laughs) They said, huh? (laughs) They said, I've had people ask me to come down on the price. I've never had anybody come ask me. I said, yeah, I'd like to pay you X amount of thousand dollars more for it than what we agreed on. They said, huh? I said, please receive it. (laughs) They knew what I was doing. They understand faith. And they said, okay. I'll agree with you. And I walked out of there and I said, take that. Take that. I just backhanded him. I said, mess with me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? See, you've got to have something in you that you don't lay down. When the heat comes up, you get stronger. I mean, it can't shake you. It just pushes you deeper into the Word. It just puts you more into God, more into faith. You'll just pray more, believe more. Hotter it is, deeper you go. That's the kind of individual that always triumphs. And you know, within a few months, we paid it, paid it in full, paid the extra. It was paid off, done. Everybody was happy, except the devil. (laughs) And I'm still telling it years later that he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He tried. He had another ending for that story that he had planned, and uh, it didn't go that way. Are you in First Peter? Before we're coming up to the next level, what has to happen? We've got to see it. I'm not talking about falling into a trance necessarily. I'm not talking about an open vision or seeing angels, but God can show you things. You've read the Bible and said, I see that. You've been sitting in the service, and you said, I see that, I see that. And you didn't have an open vision, you didn't see an angel, you didn't hear a voice, but you're seeing. Vision is coming. That kind of vision should be happening all the time for all believers. And it is key to us going from where we are to the next place. We can't go there till we see it. We can't do it until we see it. But in preparing for this, in First Peter... The third chapter, there's a statement that you see quite a bit in the Old Testament, but it's in the New as well. 1 Peter 3, 15 says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I know from my own experience, and many other people have heard talk about it, not understanding what that phrase would even mean. But everybody said out loud, sanctify, sanctify the, Lord God the Lord God in your heart. In your heart. And then he talks about how you would explain something to somebody. How you would tell them why you have this hope and faith and expectation. And you would be enabled to do it 
with humility and reverence. Say it again. Sanctify Sanctify the Lord God. God. Now he said in your heart. Now the word sanctify is translated more than one way. It means holy. It also means dedicated. It's translated dedicated. Same word. It also means set apart. Set apart. Or you could say separated. The holy articles in the uh, tabernacle in the temple. They were separated from any other use. And only for God's use. Set apart. I mean you couldn't use those uh, bowls to wash your hands with. Or feed your dog in. Now we laugh, but we've lost some of these things. We live in a generation that doesn't discern between holy and unholy. We're still suffering in this country from the rebellion of society in the 50s and 60s. Nothing is special. And you see that people have this attitude. Nothing is important. People don't want to dress up for anything. They don't want to make any special preparation. Everything's just common. Oh, it's just this. It's just that. It's just the church. It's just the ministry. It's just mom and daddy. It's just us. It's just, it's just, that's a problem. Because what that is revealing is lack of reverence for God. Love for God is shown in love for people. First John brings this out pointedly. You can't say, I love God with all my heart, but I can't stand you. My brother, I hate you. I hate your guts. But God, you know I love you. I mean, me and you. It's just these people. I can't handle them. But I mean, me and you. You're kidding yourself. The Bible said, if you say you love God and hate your brother, you are a liar. You're a liar. And the same thing is true over and over in other areas. If you say, oh, now I reverence God, I respect God, but you never show anybody any respect, then you're deceiving yourself. Your reverence and respect for God is revealed directly by your respect for his people and his things. It's just the truth. And I think you know we live in a society that is sadly lacking in these areas. Everything's common. Well, here he said, sanctify, set apart the Lord in your heart. And be ready to give an answer with meekness and reverence. I'm going to say it like this. Make a difference. A difference. What do you mean? A difference between him... And you, him and everybody else and everything else. Listen to another translation. It says it that way. The NIV says, in your hearts, set apart Christ, the Lord. Set apart. What what does that mean? Well, go with me to Numbers 20, and this will begin to become increasingly clear. And I know, you know, we've gone a little bit longer tonight, but you don't want to be shorted on this. This is valuable. This is very important. And if you're believing like I am, that we're coming into greater days of glory, greater manifestations of the Holy Ghost, 
this is required operation knowledge. If you don't get this right, that we're talking about tonight, then even if God begins to move in your midst, you'll mess it up. Again and again, study history. And you'll see up to the present day, God has moved in different places at different times. He has come down and showed himself mighty and strong in different groups and different geographic places, generation after generation. And usually before very long, men mess it up. And I want to remind you, and believe the Lord will show us in the word, the underlying thing That's causing men to mess it up. It's manifested in numerous different outward ways. But it's all back to one root. And the way to keep from doing it. Is what we read in 1 Peter 3. What do you do? Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Notice he wound up talking about meekness. And reverence. Somebody say humility Humility. and reverence. reverence. I know this is a key to taking the next step. I know it is. And I know if we believe God and the Spirit of God begins to move and we don't have enough sense to respond to Him correctly and we act like we're at Disney World. Did you hear me? And we try to formulate our own programs out of it. We'll mess it up. You, me, whoever. And that will prevent it from reaching the pinnacle God intends. Because when God begins to manifest himself, it's not the end. It's the beginning. He intends that it grows and swell and increase week after week and month after month and year after year. This flare up and die down for a hundred years That's not the plan of God. Never been the plan of God. It's men messing up the work of God. Men getting in the way. And this specifically shows how men have done it. Let's see, you're in numbers, aren't you? Go to another place first. Hold that place. Go to Leviticus, the 10th chapter. Then we'll go to numbers, I think. Leviticus 10. I'm telling you, this is required knowledge to operate in greater moves of the Spirit, not optional. You must know this. Leviticus, the 10th chapter. Anybody believing for greater manifestations of the Lord besides me? I know you are. Anybody hungry? Anybody desirous? (laughs) We are. And God will not, nobody ever trusted in him and was disappointed. He will meet us. He will begin to move. But that's not all there is to it. When he does, not if. When he does manifest more and greater, if we don't know what to do, if we don't know how to work with him, we can abort it. We can mess it up. We can cut it short. The people of God, God had led them to this pinnacle of meeting him here in Leviticus 10. And they had offered up the offerings. And they were all coming together with reverence and respect 
And chapter 9 and verse 23, well, verse 22, Aaron lifted up his hand. This is Leviticus 9, 22. And he blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation. And they came out and they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. This has happened many times up until the present time. The glory of God. God could manifest himself in this room right now tonight. In fire. Smoke. Light. Glory. Where everybody saw it. He's done things like that in the past. He does it yet as signs. Not only that, verse 24, there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. They're having church. (laughs) Nobody is clipping their nails. Are eating chips. Are texting on their phone. In the middle of the service. How many know you got a congregation. Where 75% of the folks. Are texting during the service. You're not going to have much of a move of the Lord. Nobody. Is doing anything. Except nose plastered in the ground going, whoo, the Lord is good. Oh, the Lord. Ooh. I mean, didn't even want to look up. You can still feel the heat from the fire that just evaporated everything that was there. They thought the Lord would receive their offerings, but that he had personally come pick it up. They offered all of the stuff, and God goes, I'll take that. And it's all evaporated, and they're going, everybody, everybody, everybody. Somebody say reverence. Reverence. God is awesome, God. God is so big. He's so... You can tell people don't know him by talking about him so flippantly. Like he's a man. God is so deep and so wide and so high and so powerful. Brother Jesse Duplantis tells about his experience when he went to heaven at the throne. He said he couldn't even lift his head up. I'm trying to look sideways and he saw the father sitting on the throne he didn't see his face he just saw the lower part and he said he saw those huge angels flying around he said he couldn't even raise his head and he said he he saw the father move his little finger slightly just just barely and one of those big angels happened to be coming around that time, just plastered him up against the side of the place. And he shook it off and kept hollering holy and kept flying around. How would you describe the throne? Power. Power. 
Forget nuclear reactor. How much power does it take to keep the sun shining? What about all the rest of the stars that are out there? And the gravity that holds all the planets together and all the energy that is, you can't calculate it. All things are upheld by the word of his power. He could easily overwhelm us, scare us out of our wits. He didn't want to do that. Didn't want to do that. But if we got any smarts, we know we begin to have some concept of who we're talking to and who we're dealing with. And we begin to show him the proper respect. And the proper reverence. He's manifested his glory. They all saw it. The fire came down. And they all saw it. So notice what the preachers did. Next verse. Notice what the preachers did. Are you there? Chapter 10. Nadab and Abihu. The sons of Aaron took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put on incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded not. He didn't say anything about them doing any of that. Why did they do it? Don't think this is not relevant now. Preachers, listen to me. Pastors, ministers. Beware of just doing something. People live in the entertainment age and don't like dead space. We don't like dead air. We live in the radio and TV and internet generation and there's always emphasis. I mean, if things are flashing just like this from one scene to the next and, and as the screen goes blank, everybody goes, Huh? Kick the box. What's wrong? What's wrong? And people take that same mentality into them with church. And if something gets quiet for a little bit, people don't know what to do. But like, we got to do something. So let's get some fire. <laughs> bad idea. <laughs> Somebody say bad idea. Bad. But it's worse than that. It's not just ignorance. God has moved in a special way. The glory, the power, the fire, and everybody is thinking about nothing but God. As it should be. Until the preachers get up and initiate the first evangelistic fire association and capitalize on this move of God. And as soon as we get through with the fire show, we can take up a big offering. There's a time when offerings are appropriate and there's a time when they are not. And what, oh, beware, beware of thinking, oh, boy, everybody's stirred up now. It'd be a good time to take an offer. Oh, watch it, watch it, watch it. When God moves, 
It's time for God to get the glory and all the glory and everybody else be invisible. And if we don't learn that, we'll mess it up. There's pressure from the crowd to do something. Preachers, you know what I'm talking about. You felt it. I mean, all you got to do is come stand and do nothing for 10 minutes. And you begin to feel all these thoughts. What? He didn't prepare? He's not ready. What's wrong with him? Or if the Spirit of God begins to move and you sense his presence, you can hardly wait five minutes. Somebody's going to give a tongue and interpretation or something, even though it's not the Lord. Just because they sense the power, that's all they know to do. How can you know when it's not right? When it's not right, you go from thinking about the Lord to them. That shows you it's not right. If it is the Lord, it'll just take you up to another level of thinking about the Lord. Are y'all with me? But you've been there, haven't you? When men, anointing was there. And somebody started doing something and it was like, huh, what? And now you're paying attention to them and it just goes dead and just goes down. We must learn better than this. God's merciful to our ignorance, but our life is short. We don't have all these decades to waste. We need to learn and get it right and give him somebody that he can work with. How many desire to be somebody the Holy Spirit finds easy to work with? And that you're not a glory hog. They got up there. And in the middle of the people worshiping God on their face and reverencing God, they drew attention to their self and tried to capitalize on what was going on and lifted up fire. What's the implication? Why get a censer and put fire in it and prance around with fire? Why? Because the fire just fell. But why? You're leaving the impression we had something to do with the fire falling. That's why it was unacceptable. I mean their sin was gross. And that's why they're standing out there leaving the impression. How'd you like that fire? And God said, well, here's some more. <laughs> and they died in the fire. In a flash. Because they did not sanctify the Lord God in their hearts. What does that mean? They didn't differ between what's Him and what's us. They didn't set it apart. They didn't divide it. Now we're not to assume that Nadab and Abihu were just pompous, proud, bad guys. Because the next one I'm going to show you is a man who did it, same thing. And yet God himself called him the most humble man on the earth. Numbers 20. You still got your place there? Numbers 20. The Lord told Moses and Aaron to gather the congregation. And he told them in verse 7 and 8. 
He spoke to Moses. He said, take the rod. This is Numbers 20, verse 8. Take the rod and gather the assembly together, you and Aaron, your brother, and speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and you'll bring forth to them water out of the rock, so shall you give the congregation and their beast drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. Of course, you know there's hundreds of thousands of them, maybe millions of them standing out there. And he says to them, listen to his speech. What does he say? Hear now, you rebels. Listen carefully to the next part. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Is anything wrong with that? The message Bible says, listen rebels, do we have to bring water out of this rock for you? And he lifted up his hand and with his rod he smote the rock. Hit it again. And the water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their beast also. But he is in serious trouble. Do you know just because you get the miracle that doesn't mean you're okay? You can have a wonderful miracle and it doesn't mean your doctrine is right. It doesn't even mean you're right. It could mean somebody was believing God and God did something. Not because of you. In spite of you. And Moses was and is a fine man. God himself said that no prophet had spoken with him like Moses. Up till that time. Nobody had been in fellowship with him like this man. And that he was meek. Numbers 12.3. He was meek, humble above all men that were on the face of the earth. And yet today... He blew it. And how many know that because of this, it was such a grievous error that he did not get to complete what he was born to do. His call in life was to lead these people out of bondage into the promised land. How many know if you have to go through Pharaoh and the junk and the desert, you ought to get to taste the promised land? And he begged the Lord and pled with him and prayed repeatedly. And finally the Lord said, don't bring it up to me again. And he brought him back to this. He said, because you did not sanctify me. In the eyes of the people. At this place. And he knew better. What did he do? This is a sign. This is a wonder. This is something no man can do. Well if you can't do it. You ought to make it very clear. That you didn't have anything. To do with it. Are you with me guys? You ought to make it. See he said. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give an answer of the hope that's within you with meekness, humility, and reverence. This distinguishing between you and the Lord. What does it mean, sanctify the Lord God in your heart? Read the rest of this verse. He said, verse 12, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, because you believed me not. 
to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. See, not just sanctify me, sanctify me in their eyes, in their seeing. What would that have meant? Separate between you and me. Honor me. Show that I am holy. I'm the one doing this, not you, and you didn't do it. Therefore, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. That's a hard thing to hear. Now, a point here is, if the most humble man on the planet missed it in this area, we'd be fools to not take it seriously. And uh, because so many people think, oh, I'm not haughty, I'm not proud, I always give the Lord all the glory. With that kind of attitude, it's for sure you're not. Subtle ways. I know. Phyllis and I were first year Rama. Didn't have a decent car. The Lord gave us a good used car. Good looking. I drove it to some place and some of the other fellow students came out and saw it. They said, oh, glory to God, man. It's a nice car. How'd you get that car? I said, we believed it in. They said, well, yeah, oh, good. When I said it, something bothered me. Something scratched me. Didn't know what it was. We had been believing for it. Later on in the time of waiting on the Lord, I said, Lord, something wrong with that? You know, it's not just the words you use, it's your heart, too. How you thinking? And I don't mean I heard a voice, but he began to deal with me, speak to me inside. He said, he said this faith that you believed it in with. He said, where'd you get it? I said, well, it's a measure of your own faith. He said, now, where'd it come from? I said, well, from hearing your word. And he said, uh, and while you were standing, weren't there times you were tempted to quit and give up? I encouraged you. I said, yes, sir. Had people preach on things in meetings you were in to help bolster you up. And Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He said, and who brought it to pass? Who made it happen? I said, well, you did. He said, my faith, my word, my keeping power, I brought it to pass. You didn't even mention me. You said, we believed it in. We must exercise ourselves to sanctify the Lord God. When the Lord does a thing, it's not a matter of this phony Humility, it's a matter of reality. He did it. We didn't do it. He did it. And the moment you quit doing that and the moment you start taking credit for things is the moment you are capped. You are now limited. And you do it enough and you can be prevented from entering into the fullness of what you were even called and made to be and do. Somebody say, Lord, help us. Enlighten our eyes. Show us how to sanctify you in our hearts and in the eyes of the people. Hallelujah. Stand up on your feet. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website 
at morelife.org.